Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, we're at the Queen's Club, home of the Fever Tree Championships, which takes place in June. But at the moment, there are no stands up. It is grey skies overhead. It is pristine green grass courts, but it is looking as though it's going to rain with no stands in sight whatsoever because it is March and the tournament is still three months away. However, Somebody who is very well known to the crowds here at Queen's, who's won the tournament five times, a record in total, and has won Wimbledon a couple of times as well, is Andy Murray. Last time we saw him, he was at the Australian Open. He was in that press conference, uh, having just played the most extraordinary match against Roberto Bautista, and we did wonder whether maybe that's it. So, since then, he's had surgery, he's had a, a metal joint inserted into his hip, and he was back here today at the Queen's Club to announce a new partnership with the premium British sportswear brand, Castor, a long-term uh, deal with this company to wear their clothing. You may remember he was wearing their clothing at uh, the Australian Open. And we got to speak to him. Let's hear that. And is, 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 there, is there any chance you could be available playing at Wimbledon this summer? Um, it's, it's possible, but that's in terms of like time frames and stuff because with this I don't, I don't I don't want like a definitive like time to try to rush back for this isn't like you know this is a big surgery and operation that I've had and I need to be I need to be smart with that and see how I'm progressing and so so far it's been you know it's, it has been good and like I said the, the 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 main reason for me having the operation was to not be in pain anymore and and I'm not and I'm delighted with that and really happy with that um what kind of happens next i you know i don't i don't know exactly i i obviously will do the rehab as best as i can and, and see see what's possible you ruled out doubles in australia but would you consider doing doubles to ease yourself back onto the court is that something that um I, I i hadn't really given that much thought but i mean it's it's a pos it's a possibility if i'm not ready to play singles that you know it might be a you know a way of kind of testing myself out to see how I'm, how I'm feeling um it's not something that i would do long term um but it's you know it's a possible stepping stone i guess to maybe getting back 
to playing playing singles again. Um, but yeah, I haven't, haven't given that too much thought. Would you, would you need a, a warm up tournament, Andy, before you got back into a slam? Yeah, I, I definitely. I think it'd be a smart thing to do. I mean, you know, I, I also myself just wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Like going straight into a slam um, without having any preparation or at least seeing how it feels I think I would hate to go on the court like at Wimbledon and something bad to happen or me to feel really bad and apprehensive and things and it to go really badly like I wouldn't want that to happen so yeah, I would certainly need to play some some stuff in the build-up if I was going to try and do that. Okay, what does your kind of rehab involve, and when do you think you might be able to kind of get back on court to you know some extent? Um, well, maybe be hitting some balls like so stationary. So this is not what I have to do to compete. Just hitting tennis balls on a court from about two to two and a half months um, you know which is probably in about four weeks time uh, it was the operation was five weeks yesterday um, and so each day basically so yesterday for example I did 45 minutes of my physio I then did an hour in the swimming pool I then did weights for an hour uh, with like 15-20 minutes of cardio stuff on a bike and on a cross trainer um, and then I went home and did. Um, I have got one of those like Alter G machines in my house to help with my walking to get my gait back because obviously I've been limping for 18 months and even though I don't have pain when I walk now, my initial thing when I stand up from this chair will be to limp. So I need to work on that all the time. So I'm doing like, I mean, 40 minutes of kind of walking each day on this machine, which allows you to adjust your body weight. Um, so I'm walking at like 85-90% of my body weight now which is good um, and walking quite well with that Um, and then I went back in the pool um, did about half an hour in the pool and then some more exercises for about 45 minutes or so to try and work on my range of motion because that's the thing that's kind of hardest to get back if you leave that at the beginning and don't take care of that so the strength obviously I can build up over a longer period but if I just sat and didn't work on the range of motion my hip would just stiffen up and everything around it so I need to work on that quite a lot and that's that's quite uncomfortable like the other stuff is actually okay but the range of motion stuff is 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 pretty uncomfortable and Andy when we saw you in that press conference at the Australian Open the one before your match you were talking about trying to find an end point really to your career that you'd be comfortable with is it fair to say that you feel very differently about your prospects now no I I don't feel differently about it I mean the like I said I I needed an end point to the pain. The, the end point was not necessarily to stop my career. I, I, throughout the whole process, I always wanted to continue playing, but I just I didn't want to be in pain anymore. And obviously, even if I was not going to play tennis again, I would have had to have had an operation because I tried everything to try to get rid of the pain. Um, and the operation has, has taken that pain away, and I'm really, really happy about that as a person. Like, you know, I feel great like when I wake up in the morning I'm not stressed by hip pain all of the time and now I'm gonna I'm just gonna try my best to to see how good I can can make my hip and I, I don't know where that where that will take me and that was also the case you know in Australia is that there's no 
I don't have any reference. Like no one's done an operation like this and gone back to playing, so it was never considered. And the amount of doctors and specialists that I'd spoken to, it was not. It was not an option to have this surgery. And if it was, if someone had told me two years ago, you're going to be in lots and lots of pain. Have this surgery now. You'll be back playing in five months. I would have gone. Oh, absolutely, I'll do it. But that was never what was I was told, and that's why you know I ended up you know having the the surgery is was to get rid of pain, not to not to not to start playing tennis again. But that's what I love doing. And if there's a possibility, like someone like Bob Bryan, you know, has come back and is doing good, but it's doubles, and there's a huge difference between the two in terms of the loads that you put on the body and the stresses you put on your joints, and it's not it's not quite the same but it shows that there's a level that you can get to and it's just whether or not I can I can do better than that Is it part of the challenge Andy that keeps you going the, the, the reason that people say well you can't do this it's never been done before is that, is that part of what keeps you going to prove people wrong uh, with this it actually isn't I think throughout a large part of my career that's something that has kind of motivated me a lot but that, that really hasn't in this it's just that I really like playing tennis so if I can come back and play paint like I was playing tennis for 18 months and it was horrible like it was not fun it was really painful training wasn't fun matches weren't fun I wasn't getting any any enjoyment out of winning matches um I remember when I won my first match and uh during the grass season against Stan I wasn't happy after the match because my hip was killing me Like, and I thought after 6 months in a surgery or 12 months of playing I'd be really happy with that and that wasn't the case so it's not about proving anyone wrong or being the first person to do it it's just tennis is something that I love doing I really enjoy it and if my hip allows me to do that then without pain and I can still enjoy it then I would like to try but if I can then I can and I'll be happy that I'm not in pain every day. Do you feel in a much better place mentally when you've got such a better quality of life with no pain in your hip now? Yeah, and it makes a huge di- yeah, it just makes a huge difference. Like to, you know, I can go walk around the block like with my kids and go on scooter and things like that. And you know, these are small things that might, but that the thought of doing that like six weeks ago or two months ago was was like, no, I can't do that because my hip hurts and then I have to train and I have to play after doing that and that also is going to hurt so you know it's just like small things like that are are fine for me to do I have no restrictions on what I can and can't do now like you know well I'm not supposed to run for you know two and a half three months but in terms of you know going out and doing stuff like you know I have no restrictions now and I had big big restrictions on just my my life for yeah, a year, 18 months. When, just a clarify. Have, um, when do you think you'll have a clearer idea of when you might be able to come back? Does that make sense? I would think like around the four-month mark because I think like that's when I'm allowed to start doing like high-impact activity. So, you know, obviously in the meantime, I can try and get my leg as strong as possible and... Um, you know, get the range of motion as good as I can and then I have to just be patient to wait for the time when I'm allowed to go and try and run on a tennis court and and then and then I'll have an idea. And the thing is, because I have lots of, you know, tests from over the years in terms of like my speed and my strength and things that I can look back at that and go, Yeah, well I'm way slower than I was before and if that's the case. Like if I'm much slower than I was 
let's say in Australia you know I'm not just going to go and play like if you know I can't move properly like I want to be able to run around like um, you know like I used to and stuff so I'll need to, to make a decision based on those things as well if I actually fit if I'm not in pain but physically I'm just not the same or a long way from that then that will also factor into as well so playing singles at Wimbledon on that basis still a possibility is it an aim it, it's, it's a possibility but it's not an aim yeah my goal isn't to be back playing tennis for Wimbledon like the thing is if things were going really well and I was continuing to progress but I didn't just feel like I was quite ready then well surely it makes sense for me to to wait and potentially have you know play for longer than just one tournament rather than being like okay I need to rush back because it's Wimbledon and it's a little bit too soon and I screw things up and waste the last you know five six months of rehab so yeah it's not it's not my aim but yeah if, if I could play at Wimbledon I would love to do that of course it's my favorite tournament to play just back on the operation um, when you had it was the surgeon happy with the way everything went and are the medical people happy with the way your rehabilitation has gone so far yeah so I had it, uh, Wednesday today Tuesday what day is it so on Monday I had my five week checkup. so I had a two week checkup and then a five week checkup. Um, after two weeks I'm, you know I'm still on crutches not really walking and then now I'm you know, crutch-free walking and had the x-ray yesterday or two days ago to make sure that the prosthesis hasn't moved um, in that time, which it hadn't. And, um, yeah, she seemed very happy with, you know, where where it was at after after five weeks and and also just from talking to me how I felt about it and I'm really happy with it because because I'm not in pain. So, yeah. yeah it's it's been it's been good so far and regardless of what happens i'm just i'm happy that the decision was made to have it done because now i know the next 10 years or whatever how long it lasts will be a lot more enjoyable so yeah it's it's been good so far is this the toughest question is the toughest battle of your career because it's the unknown it's out of your control there's so many variables that have to come together no the the last 18 months were by far the hardest for me that like now it's sort of yeah I, I don't feel like I'm battling against anything now I'm just I'm just kind of waiting to see and doing all of the, the rehab as best as I can and then hopefully it works out well whereas the last 18 months I mean I was battling through yeah just a lot of, <laughs> of pain and discomfort and trying to trying to compete and that was I, yeah I didn't particularly enjoy the last 18 months at all so um, yeah, it, it it just doesn't feel like a battle anymore, um, which is it did feel a bit like that last the last little while. And it was in London, and how long was the operation? Just the, the details of the operation. It was the the, <laughs> the operation um, is supposed to be like forty five minutes, but mine took a bit longer because um, the my bone was really really strong so uh it took a while to get the like the prosthesis in um to my my bone so it took like an hour and a half two hours uh which i think everyone was a bit worried about when they were in the waiting room they were told they would be back up in 45 minutes and it was like two and a half hours later i wasn't back yet um 
but yeah, I mean, it, 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 I had it done in London, and um, the, um, the, the the surgeon was Sarah Muirhead Allwood, um, and I had it done at Princess Grace Hospital, and yeah, it was great. I was in there for I had it done on Monday morning or Monday midday or something like that, Monday morning, and then I was out on Thursday evening, um, and yeah. What did you choose then? Last one, thanks. Uh, because she was honest with me, um, you know. Over this kind of period, I've spoken to a lot of people and different specialists and surgeons and stuff that have sort of maybe told me that things were going to work out better than what they had, and mm. I felt speaking to her that she told me the truth and that you know that there's absolutely no guarantees that you get back to playing and that you just have to see how it goes and that, you know, it, it just felt right having spoken to her because I didn't, I didn't want to be told, like, you're going to come back and win Wimbledon in five months and you're going to be feeling perfect because I know that it's not the case and nobody in their right mind could promise me that because it's not been done before. So I just felt like she told me the, the truth and honestly how she felt about it and she didn't say to me, never try and play again. It was just like, just be realistic and, you know, this might not work out. But what I can guarantee you is that your pain will be gone. And that's happened. So that was that was why I went with her. Thank you. Thank you. So, Andy Murray in very talkative form and a very different look on his face than the last time we saw him. You may remember the press conference we described to you when he said he thinks that's it, that he was just trying to get through to play Wimbledon to, to call an end to his career because the pain was so severe. And then we had what looked like an on-court uh, celebration of his career and a goodbye from the Australian Open after that Bautista gut match. He didn't know then whether he would play again and he still doesn't know whether he's going to play again. But with Matt here, Grad Matt and Simon Briggs, we've all just been at that press conference it's nice to see him looking a bit happier. Yeah, that's the main takeaway before you even start to go into the details, isn't it? Because in Australia, he was uh, certainly at a very low point in the famous first press conference where my colleague Eleanor Crooks asked him, how are you, Andy? And he couldn't really speak. And then when he came in to speak to us, he was actually, it was, it was a bit, some people felt it was almost a bit like a therapy session. And he opened up, but he obviously, it wasn't a joyful occasion. It was a very interesting chat. So to come here and see him laughing a, a little bit and um, making a couple of jokes and um, just seeming a lot more comfortable with himself. I mean, Andy's a, he's a very entertaining guy um, most of the time maybe he doesn't always come across to the public when you see him interviewed in a formal setting but he's uh, anyone who works with him behind the, ser- the scenes knows that he's he's got he's got a lot of character and uh, and uh, a lot of humor and uh, that's kind of returned hasn't it did any of what he said there today surprise you because we, we talked briefly afterwards and, and I think we were trying to work out well where is that compared to where we were a month ago I mean there was a difference even in the three days between the two press conferences that he did, wasn't there? But this, this I mean, his outlook was so much more positive that it certainly made me think, well, I think he's going to play again. Um, I don't know where, I don't know when, but I think he is. What do you think? Yeah, but I think that's kind of beyond our ken. It's sort of beyond his ken. It's beyond the medical uh, profession's ken because 
no one's tried to do it before and that was what he told us but uh, so it, it, it was like a real emotional uh, change today and not really a factual change there's an awful lot of really interesting stuff I mean I was fascinated by the fact that he'd chosen the surgeon because she had been straight with him you know he hadn't gone with the guy everyone was talking about in New York who was a a bloke who'd taken a number of American athletes and put them back on the playing field but uh, you know obviously I had a bit of bluster and promotion maybe that went with his package and that was uh, what I was hearing sort of behind the scenes and maybe Andy wanted somebody who would, who would t- tell it to him straight so I think it's unknowable but it, it's just it's just how the same story in, in bleak factual terms can be told in two very different ways depending on where you are emotionally yeah, they can. Uh, actually, on the drive down to Queen's today, uh, I got a chance to speak to, to Catherine Whitaker, who's in Indian Wells at the moment, uh, ahead of the, the tournament starting there. She's going to be presenting uh, Prime Video's coverage. And uh, the one thing she said when I told her I was coming to see Andy Murray uh, was, see if you can find out who his surgeon was, because I need to have exactly the same thing done. <laughs> uh, so now we know. I haven't even had to ask him on, on the quiet. He's let us all know. And uh, so there you go, Catherine. She'll tell you the truth just how bad it is and whether you're going to ever get back out on the court and have that rematch against me which I know you don't want to have uh, what did you make Matt of, of, of what you saw from, from Andy Murray out there today I mean you were in Melbourne as well yeah I mean it couldn't really be more different I mean the last time we saw him he'd just gone through a four or five hour match with the pit bull that is Bautista Agu and he was he looked like a broken man really sort of emotionally and physically he said he couldn't really walk and today I thought it was really interesting how he said his his default setting now is to limp and he's got to get that range of motion back and you see that he is still limping around but in himself he's so much he's so much happier it's just nice to see him smiling um whether whether he's able to make a comeback as Simon says I'm not sure anything's necessarily changed today in terms of that but at least he's talking positively um, yeah at least it's still a possibility you know it, it, you know it's possible that the that the hit resurfacing could have gone badly but it didn't it went well um so he's in a better place and that makes me and i think everyone will feel better just knowing that he's happier yeah yeah and i don't i think there is that intangible something about Andy Murray of having covered him for so long and been around him that makes me feel that even despite the facts I just think it's possible because it's him and the what he's like but I found the the, the comments about the testing that he's going to put himself through to see whether he's anywhere close to where he used to be interesting but even with that we were talking about the possibility of at least playing a little bit of doubles maybe with Jamie I remember asking Jamie about that at the Australian Open and he certainly seemed up for it as well I, we have not seen the last of him on a tennis court I don't think yeah I mean I would be really really surprised if he doesn't play anything uh, that would be um, I think the, the the scale of our possible outcomes has definitely shifted uh, on the spectrum hasn't it the, when I asked him in Australia if he was considering playing doubles, he, he gave me a one-word answer. It was no, wasn't it? Yes. I, I, I mean, I suppose he might have been taking that to mean, you know, to become a doubles player. Yeah. But which we didn't really push, did we? We didn't really push to say, well, what about, you know, a goodbye 
just on the doubles court. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you're right, it was a flat no. And that's definitely changed um, as he's considered where he, he wants to go. And I think that was the minimum now that I, if he didn't play a doubles tournament, I'd be shocked. Um, and you know whether he can play a singles tournament, as he said, it's just in the lap of the gods a little bit. All I would say is if anyone can do it, Andy can. I mean, that was very much the message that I got from Jamie Delgado in September, actually, before the um, US Open um, you know, he was still in that position that we were all in, and Andy's in of not really knowing how the body will respond, and he just uh, just kept on telling me that you know he had faith that this is a guy who will uh, stop at absolutely nothing, um, and to see that the, the 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 frame of mind he's in now so positive it only um, underlines that. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. I mentioned um, Prime Video uh, coverage of Indian Wells, which starts... Uh, today actually in in the uh, the women's event starts today the men's event starts tomorrow Um, I know Dan Evans is in qualifying tonight to try to get into the main draw but political shenanigans continue I understand Simon Um, last time we spoke to you at the Australian Open there was all the stuff uh, going around about uh, about the head of the ATP Chris Commode's future and I think he's in the final year isn't he of his his contract and whether it would be renewed Um, what's uh, what's the latest well, we're still early in the uh, what's going to be a, a, a ongoing meet, week of many meetings, and the news overnight was that David Egdes has been confirmed in a full uh, position as a player's representative on the ATP board. Um, the Sports Business Journal wrote a very interesting piece, writing that Justin Gimmelstob is the main uh, f- a person who wants a change of. Uh, 
leader at the top of the ATP, possibly not the end of this year. The the most common theory going around the corridors of tennis is that uh, they would hand Chris one more year to make it easier to find a replacement. Yet the SBJ article suggested if that happened, he'd be a lame duck. I mean, that's possibly one perspective on it. Um, the, the chance of that all going through has been seriously strengthened, I would say, by the fact that Egders has been confirmed as a player representative because he's a absolutely a staunch ally of Gimmelstorb and uh, has rarely been known to uh, diverge from Gimmelstorb's position on anything. Mm. We don't get it, do we? I mean, uh, I know we we, uh, we get on, certainly I get on very well with Chris Kermode, known him for a long time. I just, you know, just don't get it. Don't get it. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would query, I mean, the Sports Business Journal article is very interesting, well-informed. Um, it's not easy for anyone to read it, unfortunately, because it's behind a pretty heavy paywall. But um, it also says not every player is against Kermode. Well, that is, in my opinion, somewhat of an understatement. I mean, we asked Roger, we asked Rafa, um, we asked Stan, didn't we? Um, every player almost outside, like a the fingers of one hand, you could almost number the players who want to change. Unfortunately, there's 10 people, from, well, unfortunately for Chris, there's 10 people on the player council and, and, and those, that finger of one hand are, are all on the player council. There's very few people who's not on that player council who's pushing for a change. So, well, What is their problem? I mean, is, is it just straightforward money? Well, I mean, Novak's spoken about his desire to set up a players' union. Well, actually, not on the record, has he? But he, he certainly briefed the... A player group in Australia just over a year ago that that was what he wanted to do um, he certainly seems to feel that the players need to be more aggressive um, and that would require for it to actually work it would require a, a, you know a, a total reorganization of the way the whole ATP works and you can argue and Pospisil who's one of the anti-faction did this in a letter during the Australian Open that was leaked uh, you can argue that the ATP is not fit for purpose because it's always deadlocked by the clash between the employers and the employees who want different things. Well, that's a fair enough position. I certainly wouldn't dispute that. Whether or not you can blame the uh, guy at the top for the uh, constitution he's inherited is another issue. But um, those guys aren't happy. Um, Justin Gimmelstob has his own reasons, I think. Um, I don't think he and Chris get on. Um I still would point out that Justin Gimmelstab is facing a potential criminal trial um, and query whether he should be on the ATP board in the first place. So uh, it's it's not a entirely uh, edifying spectacle. No, that's uh, certainly without question. The tennis itself, um, the draws have now been made. Uh, I've seen, I saw. All of the women's draw in detail, because that was a day, a day earlier. The one thing that did strike me was the draw of Serena Williams, who starts with Victoria Azarenka and then could face Garbina Magarutha in the in the second round match that she plays in order to you know, start making waves in the draw. I mean, that is just an absolute horror draw, isn't it? It doesn't go all the way up. Um, there's Muguruza in there. Um, there's there's Sloane Stevens, I yeah. think, and then there's uh, and then there's Simona Halep. It would be the final opponent, I think, isn't it? Right, Matt? Yeah. So the way we've got it laid out here is Azarenka, Muguruza, Burton's, Stevens, Halep, Osaka. I mean, these Good things almost never happen like that. But all of those people have beaten Serena Williams, interestingly. Mm. 
she's going to have to play like Serena and then she might be all right. Um, so what, what else strikes you from the draws that we've seen so far? Katie Bolter, I know, lost in the qualifying. Um, Johanna Contra, I think, plays today against Pauline Parmentier. Uh, what else is uh, of note? Well, an interesting thing in the women's draw is Osaka potentially playing Kiki Mladenovic again, who just beat her in uh, Dubai, wasn't it? So that's a potentially an immediate chance for revenge there. Uh, in the men's draw, I think most people have got their eye on the potential third rounds between Federer and Wawrinka and Novak Djokovic and Nick Kyrgios, which... Oh, yeah. They, bo- <laughs> they both need to win one match for that to happen. Um, and it's funny, isn't it, because kind of thinking about the last few weeks on the men's tour that we've seen, it's just been so open because, quite frankly, Djokovic hasn't been there. Suddenly Djokovic comes back and you're kind of having to to squint to see a possibility that isn't Djokovic winning it. But Kyrgios would be certainly one of the guys, if he plays like he did in Acapulco, who you might think would have a chance of taking him down. What what do you think uh, of what you've witnessed over the last couple of weeks? I mean, Tsitsipas has had his results... um, Kyrgios has won this tournament out of nowhere because he's had no form, has he, for 18 months, and Federer has won his hundreds. Well, it's been absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, this is a hard time for me to get tennis in the paper with the Six Nations on, um, but uh, there's been some great storylines, and I've actually had some some quite serious space, and that wouldn't have happened if it had just been, you know, a kind of regulation fortnight or so, but it has been riveting. Um, and yes, as, as Matt says, Novak could squash the intrigue a little bit, couldn't he, by this being too good for the field? I mean, you can't blame him for that. He's just uh, on a different plane. But I mean, I, I, in the final against Rafa in Australia, there was one point where he, he just seemed to press a button on one side of the court and he was on the other side of the court. And he seemed to have just done that thing in Rentigos where you kind of, when you, you, don't, you don't even move in, the, in between the intervening space. I just couldn't believe it. Do you, have you ever heard of rent a ghost Matt? No. no, no. Uh, that was an 80s show. Uh, when were you born? 96. Oh, for God. Go away. Let's, let's go and have our own podcast over here, Simon. Um, Kyrgios, whenever, whenever I text you, you seem to be r- r- loving the fact that Nick Kyrgios is relevant again because you are writing about him and people <laughs> seem to like that. Yeah, well, I think I tweeted that uh, nobody has appeared in my back page column more often than its nine years of existence in Kyrgios. <laughs> I feel a bit, bit, bit bad for re- leaning on him so much for content, but it's just that kind of uh, it's that Marmite factor that makes him irresistible and everyone's got an opinion and there's no real right or wrong, I think, because he is brilliant and he, is, he can be awful. I mean, he can be a real pain in the arse. Um, and he has been, certainly on, on certain occasions I've been trying to interview him, but he has also been very good on other occasions. So... You just don't know what's going to happen next, but it's just compelling. But that's the thing about Kyrgios. Like, he should be a player that evokes passion. You know, you should say, oh, I love him or I hate him. But the past 12 months, I've kind of felt indifferent towards him because he's just not been, he's not been performing. Like, you want, if you're going to put your energy into someone, you want to see it, you want to see them put energy in and effort in as well. He's not really just, he's not been that relevant for... 12, 18 months, probably since he won Brisbane at the start of last year. But now to have him back, and suddenly, you know, Twitter just goes mad when Kyrgios is playing. Um, and, you know, some people probably need to chill out. Like, you know, he's not, he's not perfect, but who is? And just enjoy him for what he is, because he makes it more interesting whether you like him or don't like him. And that can only be a good thing, I think. Yeah. Um, incidentally, we, we, we talked about Djokovic just there 
don't you think it's the ultimate power play that he's done absolutely nothing for the last month and just let these people you go and have your own game you go and have your own game and I'll come out for the proper stuff <laughs> well I hadn't thought of it like that but I suppose it does show a certain amount of self-assurance um, I mean he, he obviously has spoken about wanting to have a better work-life balance I guess would be put it in one way and uh, wanting to spend more time with his family uh, whether that makes him a better player um, we'll see I guess and one would suspect on the basis of the last six months that he's he's going to be stronger for the for the fact that he's come out of a, a slump and, and rediscovered his best form and uh, you know we're, we're we're looking at the Indian Wells and Miami Sunshine Double, but then it's all going to be about Paris, isn't it, before long? So, yeah, Novak's going to be the centre of attention for the next few months. But, but that's the Djokovic playbook, isn't it, to just sweep the big events and rest when others are kind of killing themselves out on the tour. He's done that for years. He's played such a light schedule compared to so many. But I was looking at two years ago, I remember us commenting on the fact that he played Acapulco when he was dominating. And we didn't we didn't really get it. Um, or rather, when he was coming back from that period, wasn't he? And I thought, you know, wouldn't you want to rest at that point? Well, I think then he was he was searching a bit for something, wasn't he? When he knows he's got it, he's, he's so comfortable yeah. with taking weeks off. Like, when he was in his peak sort of... 14, 15, 2016, that sort of time. If you look at his schedule, it was it was really quite light compared to a lot of the other guys, and he's gone back to that now. Just on the subject of um, the women's world, number one, she's posted a very, very heartfelt um, uh, account of how she's feeling at the moment, and really an optimistic one, taking a, a leaf out of Andy Murray's book a little today, um, in which she says, I'm writing this now to organise my thoughts and try to put into words what I've been feeling. A lot of parents have been coming up to me and telling me that their kids look up to me, and those ki- those words literally blew me away. I was so shocked and felt this huge responsibility because I remembered how important my role models are. Also, the fact that parents themselves were telling me this meant they approved, which is mind-blowing to me. Um, it's It's important for her isn't it to sort of organize her emotions i think around what is happening to her because she's becoming so big right now simon i mean this you know matt talks about nick Kyrgios. what happens when he plays on twitter i i'm i'm blown away by the reaction that a tweet from osaka gets now and it's it's going to multiply and she she's going to need to find this way of of being okay with it all and and that's what she's written here I feel is quite a quite a nice way of looking at it yeah it's interesting because she obviously has um, something of a roller coaster in her attitude towards the tour sometimes she doesn't seem to be enjoying it as much as others we've seen uh, I think there was a I heard that she'd been emotional in a different way um, talking maybe was it Courtney Nguyen she did an interview yes. with her about how um, she was really struggling to deal with the attention that came with her success and it wasn't natural for her and she'd actually been in tears so that was what I, I, I heard yeah um, so in a way I was just thinking it's almost like we've forgotten that most people find the tour difficult because we've been focused on the big four men and in a way the, me- the big four men one of the things that they've done is they've made being a professional tennis player look quite sort of easy in the sense that all right Andy was um sometimes wild-haired and wild-eyed on the court but um he he always said he liked touring and 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 all four of them seem to be adapted 
totally to, the, to this kind of weird lifestyle. But if you go back, actually, they're, in some ways, they're the anomalies, aren't they? Because, you know, McEnroe, Agassiz, you know, all these people, they struggled with the life. And maybe actually finding it difficult to, to, to be a person living out of a suitcase is more common. And being in the public eye, as Naomi's issue sounds like it's more about the attention than it is about the travel. Uh, those things are actually more normal. And um, it's almost like uh, Serena had different approach, didn't it? Didn't she? In the sense that she disappeared for, for quite long periods and took up other interests. But the way that people deal with the tour, it's becoming a story in the case of Azarka. It's, it's a story in the case of Kyrgios because a lot of the things that make him compelling are his internal battles and, and what's going through his head. You just never know what state of mind he's going to be in. No. But maybe, as I say, this is actually more almost more human than the kind of extraordinary natural ease with which the big four t- went about being 24-7, 52-week-a-year tennis players. You've worked in cricket, which is even more gruelling as a travel um, job, isn't it? I mean, you know, wonderful as well. You go to these incredible places and so forth. How do you find the touring life? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not normal life, is it? The difference with t- cricket is surely just that it's the, the team sports that so you're always with your family. I mean, unless, unless you're KP in, in his last days when you're the uh, black sheep <laughs> in the eyes of most of the rest of the team. Um, but, uh, I mean, for me, I, I only do three months on the road a year, so uh, I'm nowhere near the 40 weeks that, that these big guys are doing. Um, and, no, it's... Uh, I'm just, I'm just really thinking on, on my feet, really. I haven't really thought about this before, but just in terms of the difference between a Nazaka or a Kyrgios, who are very different cases, I'm not trying to lump them together, but them and, 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 and the kind of the Federers who just make it look so easy and have done for years. Maybe, maybe the Federers are the anomalies, not the other two. Yeah, I, I actually think that that's, that's true. I think Federer is, and, and Serena Williams, I think they're extraordinary, that they, they, their love of it all. But, but, but Serena didn't have that, did she? I mean, she finds it difficult in a different way to motivate herself for tour events, mm, which, which yeah. Federer never seemed to have. But she, she doesn't find it difficult to motivate herself for the big ones. No. Oh, it's all good fun to talk about. We could do it all day. That's what we do, really, isn't it, on a weekly basis here on the Tennis Podcast. Thank you, Simon, for joining us here at the Queen's Club. It's been, it's been a nice morning, hasn't it, to see Andy in good spirits um, and to see this place looking nice and green and ready for a, what, what will come in a few months, months' time. What are your next movements? Where are you going next? I'm going to Miami. Um, it's, Indian Wells is always a nightmare for papers because this is the end of the Six Nations and Cheltenham Festival next week. So I've, I've always found Indian Wells. I've never, I've never actually been. It doesn't work in terms of a very um, kind of a, uh, in-house production issue. So uh, Miami on, uh, on Monday week. Excellent. We'll, we'll look forward to speaking to you from there. You can tell us all about it and the new stadium that they've got there at the Hard Rock Stadium, Hard Rock isn't stadium, it? Yeah, it's, it's basically um, being built on the side, as I understand it, of the uh, Miami Dolphins uh, base. Oh, wow. That is going to be quite something. Right, Matt, we better go and edit this podcast. <laughs> um, it's been a great morning, hasn't it? Very interesting. Very. I mean, I was, I was initially struck just to turn up at Queens and see it like this. Without is this the, the first time you've ever seen it like this? It but basically, just to let you know, if you've ever been to Queens or if you've seen it on the telly, it's these massive, great big stands with 9,500 seats in. There are none of those here now. Nothing. There's a clubhouse. There's a couple of hard courts where the big stand gets built on. There's a car park where the, the other stand at the end gets looked on, which you, which you see from the television camera point of view. And then you've got a, bit, a, a patch of green grass that looks like it's about to be played bowls on. <laughs> 
yeah, it was the car park that struck me. I was like, oh, that's not, that's not usually there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose it's that's the nice thing about Queens, isn't it? It's a, it's a it's a club the rest of the year, and you know, if you turn up, at, you know, if you were to go to Melbourne Park now, it would probably look quite like it does for the tournament. But yeah. here, it's a real transformation, and that's quite exciting. I think when the tournament's on for everyone arriving you know there's a real buzz and and the people who are here get to see that the whole year wonderful right well we will be back with another tennis podcast on probably monday yes monday uh, when when uh, we finally worked out the time difference with Catherine because she and i are having a few funny co- phone calls in the middle of the night where i've not quite worked it out um and we'll be back and we'll speak to you soon deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.